Welcome back. We're going to look in a little bit more detail uh, uh, and starting with uh, a biblical view of marriage. We're going to start with a, a foundation and then we're going to build on that foundation. And then we're going to start um, doing a comparison with the Quran. We're going to be using some of the texts and some of the, the Quranic verses that we previously looked at. But I want to start with the Bible. So when I speak with the Muslim friends, I always start with uh, Genesis 2, verse 23. Um, it really sets the scene for us. You'll find uh, when a Muslim is trying to challenge the whole view of marriage and man and woman in Christianity, just start from the very beginning. In fact, I tell you, you start with Genesis 1 to the, and the first few, few chapters of Genesis. It sets the foundation for so many uh, much theology, for so many important doctrines that you'll need to bring out um, with Muslims. If Muslims... Or if Christians don't understand Genesis 1 to 3, um, certainly Muslims are not going to understand it. But if Christians don't understand the importance of Genesis 1 to 3, you're going to struggle to understand the rest of the Bible. And in Genesis 1 to 3 is deep theologies, especially when it comes to humanity, to God, who God is, to humanity, to, to the situation of the world, a sin, and then, of course, to the solution of, of um, the problems of the world and, and ultimately salvation. But we're going to look at now at biblical monogamy, so biblical faithfulness between a man and a woman, one man, one woman. And then we're going to look at um, Quranic polygamy and bring in some of the verses that we've reviewed um, uh, in earlier sessions. So we start with Genesis 2, 23. It sets the scene. Uh, it shows how God created Adam and then he, he, he created um, God out of Adam, created uh, someone to come alongside him. And um, he says when he sees the woman, he sees Eve, he goes bone of... He talks about bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He realizes that they're the same, they have the same essence, and that there is something that's beautiful about this, this person, this companion that God has given, has given him. Now, the Quran has a story of Adam, and it, it really focuses in on Adam. In fact, it's a very strange story in the Quran and, uh, when it talks about how Iblis, who is sometimes described as Satan, um, God, or, or Allah, I should say, uh, commands Iblis to bow down to Adam, and then Iblis refuses to bow down to Adam and as a result that's why Iblis then is thrown out and he is then condemned. It's a bit different from our story. It's a corruption of our story. And uh, my first question would be, why on earth is Allah telling, who you think is God, telling a, a, a being to bow down to a, a human being? You don't tell anyone to bow down to a human being. As Christians, we would never uh, follow uh, the God of the Bible if he was telling us to bow down to human beings. And of course, you're doing a few things there. You're helping the Muslims see that you don't see Jesus Christ, of course, has taken on flesh, has taken on humanity. We don't see him as a mere human being. So you're helping, the, you're throwing their idea of that on its head but also you you were just pointing out that God would not call us or anyone even a spirit being to bow down to a mere human being help them help them work that through but back to um, the, that first initial story in Genesis 2, and um, it's really interesting. If you look at the Hebrew in Genesis 2, it describes Eve as the Ezer, as the one who um, comes to, to, um, to, to, uh, to Adam as an Ezer. And uh, it's quite interesting, in a lot of conservative evangelical circles, when uh, the whole theology of man and woman is taught, you always have man, and it almost seems like man is the main thing, and then the wife comes along as the helper. 
And that's all that's emphasized. What people tend to forget is what ezer means. Ezer is the idea of, of, of actually, it's, it's described of God 20 times in the Old Testament. So God is our ezer, or God is the ezer. God is the one who empowers and strengthens and sustains. That is what woman is to be. She is to be the empowerer. She is to be the sustainer. And it isn't just the man. It's not for the man. She is actually, that's her role in life, in, 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 in the world, in God's ministry. And so she empowers, she comes alongside, she aids and so on. So it's a different, slight different angle. And I think you need to bring that out with Muslims and help Muslims see that the woman isn't just made for a man where he then controls her and she goes under him um, as in submission. No, um, she's actually made to come alongside of. And there's sort of a joke we have in the United Kingdom where we talk about how the, the woman, she was not made out of Adam's head or her foot. So she's not above him. She doesn't trample on him or isn't trampled on. She's made from his side. She comes alongside. And we always talk about this, how, how, how the woman is, it comes out from the side of the man and, it, and, is, and, is, and is brought in to, to pair up with the man. And emphasize how it's not for her to be, uh, to be subdued and controlled, as you will find with the Quranic story, which we'll unpack in a little bit. So in Genesis 2.24, it puts the marriage formula in place of, of how we are to live. We did briefly mention this in a previous session. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Adam and Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. So this is before they had chosen to go down the wrong path. They'd chosen to walk away from the few things that God had asked them not uh, asked them to uh, obey and, and they had disobeyed but this is before that and it's deep theology in this and, and most of you studied theology on marriage and, and, and how man and woman is together um, will maybe have under, understood this but for the Muslim this is theology they do not have so First of all, what, what does this verse say? The short little verse, Genesis 2, 24. A man leaves his family, cleaves to the wife. Folks, this is something that's so important. God knew the importance of a man to cleave, uh, leave his family and leave his mother and uh, cleave to his wife to make that new family, not to separate completely from the old family, but to make this new unit. But then it talks about the one flesh idea. It's so important in Christian theology. And this book, the Quran, completely misses it out in marriage. This book in the Quran always talks about the woman being made for man and it usually is in a carnal way or it's usually all wrapped up with sexual desire and that almost seems to be the only reason for marriage, of course having children, but really it seems to be all about sexual desire and satisfying the desires of a man. More of that in a minute. The picture that's portrayed in the Bible is one of perfect monogamy, one of perfect faithfulness. The man and woman come together. This is how God intended marriage to be. So when a Muslim throws at you, this Bible teaches polygamy, show no, 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 go back to the original story before things went wrong. Go back to, and you can use the word the fall, but you have to explain what that is. Be careful with too much Christian jargon because your Muslim friend won't understand it. Help, and if you do use Christian jargon, you need to, you need to explain explain it. So if you use the full uh, or that term, explain it. And you talk about this picture of marriage between man and woman in Genesis 2 is before when uh, things went wrong, before sin became an issue for man and woman. So help them see that and then help them see every other example of marriage, which this book talks about. Polygamy is one of them, um, concubinage and so on. 
All of that is a corruption of that initial intention of God. It is a corruption of what God put in place. And you must emphasize that with Muslim friends because they accept the corruption as okay. They accept the corruption as from their God. So point out the one holy God, the one true God, would never allow the kind of corruption that this book, the Quran, allows. So really unpack that with your Muslim friends. So the kind of marriage you see in this book, the Quran, is corrupted unlike what you find in the Bible when it shows the initial way that marriage should be. And of course, the Quranic story of Adam and Eve really doesn't say too much about Eve. They call her Hua. It says much more about Adam. Then you can jump to Ephesians 5. And Ephesians 5 is is a wonderful story. And of course, people like to zero in on women submitting to the husbands. Just to make a point here, uh, this whole passage starts with verse 21. It says, man and woman submit one to another. Everyone seems to forget that verse. You need to read it to a Muslim friend. Then it doesn't even emphasize the woman's role. It really emphasized the man. Man and woman submit to each other Woman to, to the husband, men love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's the emphasis there. It's very interesting. And so you find here this wonderful relationship, and it says it is a profound mystery. It's talking about the intimacy of marriage, and it's a profound mystery, and it connects it to the gospel. It connects it to God's relationship with us. Help the Muslim friend see that this book, the Bible, says, shows us that marriage, good biblical marriage, is a picture of the oneness of God. with his people. It is a picture of how intimate God wants to be with his people. The Quran leaves it out. Just point out to the holes in this book. Point out when it talks about polygamy in Surah 4.3, Surah 4.24, you can marry an already married woman. Surah 4.34, you can beat a woman until she obeys you. Surah 2, 2.2.2 and 2.2.3, where it talks about you can go to your wife when and how you wish. And it's all in a very sexual connotation. It's just for the man. Point out Folks, this book leaves out the most important aspects of marriage. Even when it comes to the intimate side of marriage, it seems to just make it purely sexual. That's it. There's nothing extra or special about it. It's just purely carnal. It leaves the main points out. There's no theology in it. Point out the holes in the teaching of the most important relationship we have in humanity, um, which uh, between humans, husband and wife. That Point out the holes that it is in this book. So then I also point out that this, this book here, the Bible, talks about this perfect picture of God with his people, which is how he wants the whole world to be, that everyone on this earth would be brought into that intimate, uh, intimate relationship with God that marriage portrays and show how any other form of marriage is a corruption. Then what you might want to do is take the Muslim through the Old Testament and show them how marriage uh, it was instilled in Genesis 2, this wonderful picture of, 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 of oneness before the man and the woman. They, be, they be become one flesh. Then point them out to the corruptions. Uh, show how when sin entered the world through the, both the man and the woman. I was once uh, talking to a Muslim uh, female polemicist and also reading some papers online. And they were saying how the Bible blames Eve for the sin of of human beings. (laughs) And I always pick up my Bible and I say to a Muslim, can you show me where this book blames Eve for the sin of all human beings? There's been one or two ancient leaders of churches hundreds of years ago that blamed Eve. That was an idea in the the Middle Ages. But show me where this book, the Bible, blames Eve. Whenever a Muslim makes a claim against your Bible, pick it up, hand it to them. Please, can you show me? Because I've never read that. 
and help them realize that they what they think is in this book is usually not in that book. And even if it is, it's usually because they have uh, twisted the text or they've taken out of context. So you have the corruption, and it's the corruption that this Bible then talks about, i.e. woman desires to control man, man desires to suppress women, Genesis 3. Woman is abused and used in the book of Judges, uh, Joshua 2, um, Genesis 38 with Tamar, Joshua 2 with Rahab, who was a prostitute. Um, Tamar was abused, and uh, these very terrible stories that the Bible talks about because human beings do terrible things to one another. Show the corruption and then show how this book actually affirms the corruption. Find examples in this book which seems to affirm that the corruption is okay. And it doesn't even try to bring about a solution. This book talks about all those corrupt relationships between man and woman. So um, polygamy, rape, um, abuse of woman, and all that. It always it brings it back ultimately back to the New Testament in, in Ephesians and other parts of the New Testament where it's a beautiful relationship, revelation, a beautiful relationship of God and his church and as one. And, um, and the church is even described as the bride and a wonderful picture of the church. Help Muslims see that the corruption that the Quran and Islam affirms and even uh, sometimes allows and, and encourages is what the Bible talks about, but not as a way to live, as a way not to live, as what is hurtful and damaging to society. Help your Muslim friends work that through. So we have in the Bible, as we explained briefly in the previous session, um, lots of polygamous marriages, Rachel, Leah, Hannah, uh, Penina, and Sarah, and the slave girl, Hagar. Back to that idea of Sarah and the, and, or the maiden, uh, the maid of Sarah. You have God, and this is a very good uh, passage of Old Testament to use with Muslims. So you have God, who's come to uh, Abraham and Sarah, said he's going to give them a child. She's barren. She doesn't have children. Of course, there's many Muslim women in the world who are barren and don't have children. So it's an area that can resonate to Muslim women because it's a it's a terrible place of pain for the Muslim woman because her identity is wrapped up in whether she has children or not um, and not really as, as just being a woman before God. So it's good to go to these stories and you have um, God has told them they're going to have a child. And what does Sarah and Abraham do? Ooh, we're not going to wait on God. We're going to take matters in our own hands. And um, so what does she do? She, she, uh, Sarah lives up to her cultural norms, not biblical idea, but cultural norms. She gives her maidservants to, to Abraham uh, to be with, and then uh, they have a child together. Hagar is um, Hagar becomes very uh, becomes extremely uh, um, uh, sort of cocky and proud that she's got this child, um, and Sarah is 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 wounded because she can't have this child, and so they're struggling as normal human beings. So this story shows the sin of human, the struggle of humans, and maybe not totally trusting God about this situation. And then you have, um, you, you jump to the New Testament, and the New Testament shows in, in Ephesians um, where in Galatians 5, um, where it says that it talks about our identity is with Sarah, who had the promised child, Isaac, versus the um, versus Hagar, who had the child who has been blessed, according to Genesis, but is not the promised child. And mu- this is such an important story because Muslims really follow Ishmael, which was that blessed child, not promised child, through Hagar. They believe Muhammad goes back to Ishmael. So there's all sorts of theologies and gospel messages you can be bringing out in this story, as well as pointing out this corruption of an 
intimate union between Abraham and this maiden girl, this um, the servant girl, um, and Sarah being a part of that and allowing that to happen in her household just because they didn't go with God's way of doing things. And it's possible, some Christians say that, because Muslims, at least in a spiritual sense, go uh, say they go back to Ishmael, Muhammad goes back to Ishmael, maybe we're seeing the fruits of the, that couple, Sarah and Abraham, not trusting God to provide for them as he said, said he would. Maybe Ishmael is causing so many problems in the world today simply because that what our forefathers didn't trust God to uh, actually provide for them as he said, as he said he would would and he would have provided them through the legitimate marriage not through Abraham and Hagar the servant girl but through the legitimate marriage between Sarah and Abraham so do a contrast then with the Quran and we're going to look at the Quran a little bit now so you've heard these verses surah 43 is the big polygamy verse it's the verse that all muslims or most muslims abide by and even if they don't practice it my muslim friends say well betty i don't practice polygamy and i i love my wife i want to be with my wife and i say well that's nice that's nice you don't practice polygamy and my female muslim friends one of my dearest friends back in london she's from iran um, she will say to me, if my husband took on another wife, I'd divorce him immediately. <laughs> I think he's a bit afraid to take on another wife. And so, um, so she, she sees that it would cause huge pain for her as, as she, um, if he were to take on another wife. When I traveled through Iran and other parts of the world, I, I met uh, women who were uh, stuck in polygamous marriages. In Iran, they're allowed to take on other wives. And many of the men, there's rules about it, but the, many of the men have other wives in other cities. And I saw the pain and agony with some of the people that I met there, the dear Muslims I met there, because their husband, they loved their husband, but their husband had another woman, sometimes who he loved more. And that was agony for the women. And I saw that it was such a pastoral situation. And so um, they may reject that and they wouldn't let their husband actually have um, another wife as my friend back in London. But you know what I do when she says something like that? I say, you know, my dear friend, the fact it is great that you don't want your husband to have another wife. I understand that from a Christian perspective. God doesn't want your husband to have another wife. The problem is, what does this book teach? You see, my God does not teach that your, your man can take on another wife. This book does. What does that say about the Islamic God? See, your Allah seems to say that your husband can legitimately take on another wife. And really, if you're to be Quranic, you can't challenge that. You can't stop him because he legally can take on another wife. So it's good for you to work that through with them. Uh, so, so we also have Surah 4.24 where um, it talks about slaves and concubines. Surah uh, 4.3 talks about that. So you have your wives and you can have your concubines on the side. So it's not just four wives, it's also other concubines. And it's only four wives at one time. So you could divorce one and add another one. And so you can have many more, many more than four wives in your lifetime. There's a lot of pain in this. This is a corruption of the biblical view of the oneness between one man and one woman. Um, you have Surah 3350 and uh, you have Muhammad being allowed to treat his wives however he wants. And Allah, their God, um, allows him to do that. We talked about that in an earlier session. You have in Surah 66, verse 4 and 5, a very interesting verse. And it says this, it may happen, and he's talking to the wives of Muhammad. It may happen that Muhammad, if he divorce you, will get in your stead, so in your place, wives better than you, submissive, believing, pious, obedient, penitent, devout, inclining to fasting, widows and maids. Quite a bit of theology in that. First of all, the big question is, hmm, seems that Allah 
gives an edict from heaven or wherever he is uh, and so on. And he gives this edict and he tells Muhammad that he, he is allowed to divorce his wives and replace them with better wives. But then it shows the theology of what a good wife is in Islam. Submissive, believing, pious. Believing pious, that's good. Um, submissive, but not submissive in a biblical sense. Submissive in a sense of being totally under his authority where she has no rights. Obedient, penitent, so she's always asking forgiveness. Um, devout, inclined to fasting, widows and maids. So young girls and widows. Uh, interesting, we know that this story was in response to a terrible situation where Muhammad had been had chosen, and this is outside of the Quran now, had chosen to uh, go with, with another a, a woman, a maiden girl, a slave girl. Two of his wives get upset, Hafsa and Aisha. He had gone to sleep with Hafsa, she wasn't there, and so he took the maid instead. And they were extremely upset about it. It's a very difficult domestic situation. And then it seems that and then God, or the Islamic God, helps um, Muhammad to then um, uh, threaten them to toe the line and start obeying him. Then we have Surah 55. It allows those polygamous, corrupt, sinful forms of marriage into paradise. <laughs> what is this Allah allowing sinful forms of marriage into paradise? Sinful forms of sexual unions between a man and a woman in paradise. What, is this, what does that say about this God that allows such a thing? The God of the Bible takes us out of that kind of thing. In fact, we don't even think about marriage because heaven is so tremendous. Heaven is so what magnificent. Marriage is one of the best gifts on earth if it's a good marriage and a biblical marriage. But, but we're going to have so much better in heaven. We're not even going to be thinking about it. It's a provision for us here on earth whilst we're not in physical presence with God. We're going to be in the physical presence of, with God. For the Muslim, they're not going to be. So it takes one of the best gifts we have on earth, especially for the man in Islam, and puts it into, into the paradise. Um, it's not really very attractive for the woman. Uh, the woman doesn't, seems to, doesn't really seem to get anything. And the men get all the maidens they want. And as this whole book shows, it only seems to be the only part of marriage that is emphasized in the Islamic heaven is the sexual side of marriage. That's it. In fact, it doesn't even seem to imply that these women that they're going to have, they even marry them. It seems to be a brothel. They go to a brothel. It's not even a pure form of union in, heaven, in their paradise that they're going to have. Do you see the sin of this book? With a Quran where it talks about the intimate um, relationship between a man and a woman, especially in marriage. And then it takes the corrupt versions of marriage and human relationships into paradise. And you need to expand on that with your Muslim friends. But always bring back them back to the healing balm of the Bible. Bring them back to the intimacy of the Bible. Now we're going to start introducing uh, the topic of intimacy in the Bible. Um, it, it's, it, of course, it's, it's a sensitive issue, but we need to talk about it because this book completely leaves it out. And folks, you'll find in many Muslim homes, there are real pastoral situations um, between husbands and wives that you will need to deal with as you work with Muslims. We have pastoral situations um, in Christian marriages because we're all human beings who sin, unfortunately. But in Islam, it's their theology that causes the pastoral situations. For us, it's our sin that causes the pastoral situations. But for them, it is, it is their theology, it is their God, it is their book that causes pastoral, um, pastoral situations. So help Muslims to understand that and do a comparison all the way through. 
So we know that in biblical intimacy, it covers all sorts of areas of human relationships. Now, uh, just for those of you who are not married, and, and um, I'm not married, so I just want to point this out uh, to those of you who will be watching who are not married. A lot of people, and Christians do this as well, will focus that the only most important relationship in the whole world is the marriage relationship. From a biblical perspective, actually the most important relationship, of course, is between God and the human being. That's the most important relationship. But ultimate satisfaction does not come from marriage. An ultimate satisfaction comes from your relationship with God. What marriage does, and it is a gift, it, it shows that an actual physical image or, or picture of how God loves us here on earth. And it is provision for human beings here on earth. It is something to be enjoyed. That is biblical marriage. But, but actually, um, what, what, what we have in the Bible, when you look at the relationships in the Bible, um, in the Old and New Testament, you take David and Jonathan, you take other stories like that, you see beautiful brotherly, sisterly relationships as well that have a lot of intimacy. And as human beings, we relate to each other emotionally, physically, um, spiritually. There's all sorts of levels of intimacy that we relate with one another. The only form of intimacy that is kept for the Christian and the only one that's not for the single Christian but just for the married Christian is the sexual form of intimacy. That's the only kind of intimacy the Christian single does not have and that's okay because God will help you deal with that as you live your life for him. With Islam, there's just no concept of intimacy. Intimacy seems to be in a family context and in a marriage context. So brotherly, sisterly intimacy is just not even really implied in this. Um, intimacy on friendship level, platonic intimacy. Platonic means non-sexual intimacy between friends, between men and women, between everyone. Um, uh, as brothers and sisters, that's just not a concept that's even implied in this. This book only seems to show that the only way human beings, male and female, relate to one another is in a sexual context. It is a corruption of how we are supposed to work with one another and respond with, to one another. In the Bible, it puts the sexual context just for the man and the woman, for the marriage, for, for, for a marriage relationship. But there's all sorts of levels of fam family intimacy that we have with each other as brothers and sisters. So it's very important to show the contrast of that between Islam and between the Bible. Also, um, you'll have uh, Muslims who will walk into a church. And I don't know if you know this, but actually some of the radical movements we see today that came from Said Qutb and the Muslim Brotherhood out of Egypt um, in the 1960s or so, um, Said Qutb had come to America and um, had gone to America and he had um, he'd gone into a church environment and I think he went to a dance or something and the men and women were dancing together as brothers and sisters. But for him as a conservative Muslim, all he saw was sexuality. That's all he could see. That's the only way he could interpret it. Now, I'm not saying there was, there was no, everything in that party was, was moral um, or, or necessary was helpful, but his only reaction as a Muslim man was to see that these men and women dancing together, it had to be sexual. It may not have even crossed the minds of those Christians that were dancing together. They were just being brothers and sisters. And we have what we call barn dances in England where um, brothers and sisters in the church will, will just do, we call it do-si-do, it's just uh, country dancing in, in the UK. Um, 
It's not a sexual thing. We see the Muslim mind doesn't grapple with this, that human beings, we can have intimacy with one another as brothers and sisters, as platonic friends. But the idea of platonic friendship is just not a concept in Islam. So when we talk with our Muslim friends, um, when we go to church, we can, I can sit down next to my brother in a church and he is my brother. I'm not thinking of him in any other way because we have God's spirit transforming our minds to look at the men for me, a woman looking at the man in my church as my brothers, for the men to look at me as their sister. That's how we view each other. That's the eternal family of God. But Islam corrupts the mind. This book corrupts the male and female mind. And it, 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 it hinders them from being able to see each other as God wants them to see each other, as platonic, healthy brother and sister, male and female, looking at each other in a godly way through godly eyes. Help your Muslim friend to understand this and then bring them back to the biblical model.